the neighbors. So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Protect your privacy. Protect your views. Know your neighbor. So oftentimes the neighbors will buy. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here with Mark Podolsky. Mark is the author. I'm going to start with this because I love the name of the book, Dirt Rich. (laughs) He is the owner of Frontier Properties and his podcast, The Art of Passive Income. I've actually already been a guest on. So Mark, welcome to the show and thanks for being with me today. Terry Shower, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Um, So Mark, just by way of introduction, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the journey through you've had through life that's led you to be here with me today? Yeah. If we rewind the tape to 2000, I was a miserable, micromanaged, 45-minute commute to work and back investment banker specializing in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And Terry, it got so bad for me. I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy. He's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar at tax deed auctions. He's flipping them online and making a 300% return on his investment. And Terry, I'm looking at companies all day long. And a great company, great, has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Average companies, 10%. I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So of course, I don't believe him. So I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. I go to New Mexico with him. I do exactly what he tells me to do. I buy 10 half-acre parcels, an average price of $300 each. I sell them online. They all sell for an average price of $1,200 each. It worked, 300%. So I took all that money. I went to another auction, and this is where I live in Arizona. And again, it's 2000. There's no one in the room. I'm buying lots and acreage for nothing. I sell all that property, and I made over $90,000 cash. So I go to my wife, and she's pregnant. I said, honey, I'm going to quit my job and become a full-time land investor. <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> and she said, absolutely not. So I said, okay, okay, okay. So it took me 18 months for the land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit. I've done it over 6,000 times and counting as of today and absolutely love it. Wow. That's really cool. So it sounds kind of accidental, but providential at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. And I love the fact that you just used the word providential in a sentence. (laughs) <laughs> real grad school sentence. Um, yeah. And so tell me about the other stuff you do. I love the title, Dirt Rich. I think that's great. Also the podcast, like how did those things happen from your investment activities? So I've, I love buying and selling raw land. Don't get me wrong. But it really only helped five people, my family. It's not that the customers didn't love the land they bought. But nobody ever called me crying saying, Mark, you changed my life with this land investment. But what Land Geek does and what my higher purpose is, and I think my, my higher calling, is to help people solve not just their money problems, but their time problems. And I think the way to do that is to create enough passive income where it exceeds your fixed expenses and that you're working because you want to, not because you have to. So I teach people exactly how to replicate 
my model so that they can have that passive income, solve not just their money problems, but also their time problems. And then if we're going to get real grad schooly, move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs into self-actualization and really do what they were meant to do in life and have that time and energy and freedom to pursue it. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, since we're in the realm of grad school, I don't want to nitpick, but it sounds to me if you are kind of like flip selling a land, right? Like I'm a tenants buy and hold rental property girl myself. And so for me, it makes sense how that could, that's, I mean, passive income, right? It's like, it's not passive for the manager, <laughs> but it is in a sense bringing cash flow every month. And when I hear this, like, you know, buying and selling of land, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, that's actually sounds to me kind of like active income, but just very high transaction value income. So tell me about the business model. Okay. So Terry, where do you live? Uh, Montreal, Canada. Montreal, Canada. Okay. I'm going to assume that you actually own five acres of raw land in Colorado in the States and you owe $200 in USD back taxes. So you're essentially advertising two important things. I mean, number one, you have no emotional attachment to the raw land. Canada, the property is in Colorado. But number two, you're financially distressed in some weird way because we don't pay our property taxes. We don't value it in the same way. As a result, the county treasurer keeps sending you notices saying, Terry, if you don't pay your property taxes, you're going to lose that property to a tax deed or a tax lien investor. So all I'm going to do is look at the comparable sales on your five-acre parcel for the last 12 to 18 months. I'm going to take the lowest comparable sale. Let's say it's $10,000 and divide by four. And that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So I'm going to send you an actual offer of $2,500 for your parcel. Now, you accept it. Why? Because for you, $2,500 is better than nothing. Now, in reality, 3 to 5% of people accept my quote-unquote top dollar offer. But now that you've accepted it, I have to go through due diligence or in-depth research. I have to confirm you still own the property. I have to make sure that back taxes are only $200. I have to make sure there's been no breaks in the chain of title, no liens or encumbrances. And I have this big property due diligence checklist. I outsource it to my team in Jamaica. It costs about $11. They're connected to an American title company. Now, if I was investing more than $5,000, I'd take no title risk. It just closed traditionally through an American title company. But this is only $2,500. So my team will prepare the plat maps, the aerial maps, the satellite maps, GIS maps, everything I'm going to want to know about the property as well. So we'll assume everything checks out. I send you a check for $2,500. Now I own the property. So Terry, I'm gonna sell it 30 days or less. And I'm gonna make a cash flow just like your rental home. So Terry, I have a built-in best buyer. Do you know who it is? No, who is it? The neighbors. So I'm gonna send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity, protect your privacy, protect your views, know your neighbor. So oftentimes the neighbors will buy. Now if they pass, I'll go to my buyers list. The buyers list passes, I'll go to a little website you may have heard of because you're in Canada. It's called Craigslist. It's the 15th most trafficked website in the United States. I'm going to one I'm fairly certain you've heard of. It's called Meta or Facebook buy sell groups and the marketplace. And then we'll go to the lands, landmoto.com, landsofamerica.com, landandfarm.com, landflip.com, landhub.com. These are platforms where people buy and sell raw land. But the secret or the magic is in my pricing. So all I'm going to ask for is a $2,500 
down payment for you to control this five acre parcel that was owned by Terry Shower. So they'll put $2,500 down. So I'm gonna get my money out on the down. I could go six to 10 months out and then I'm making a car payment. Let's say $297 a month and 9% interest for the next 84 months. So it's a one-time sale. I get my capital out on the down payment. And now I'm getting $297 a month for the next 84 months and 9% interest, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act, all this onerous real estate legislation in the States. So it's a simple game, Terry. Can you create enough land notes where your passive income exceeds your fixed expenses? And then you're working because you want to, not because you have to. Okay. I get the um, passive income uh, angle on it. and But I'm surprised that people would go for this. I mean, if you're picking up the land so cheap, why is somebody else willing to pay so much more for it? Well, when is the last time you bought something at a Nordstrom? Never. Well, what's the, what's the last thing you bought? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, no, okay. Nordstrom is a, it's a big department store in the States. Okay. Okay. The Bay. It would be in Canada, it would be called the Bay. Okay. Um, so you go to the rarely, Bay. I know what it is, but like, yeah, my mom shops okay. there. <laughs> okay. So you go, to the, you go to the Bay and buy a pair of shoes, right? And you know that there's a 300% markup on the shoes. Does it bother you? No. No one cares. People want what they want. So what's different though, is if I made you an offer of 25, 30 cents on the dollar on everything in your garage that was costing you money every year, that you weren't using. Yeah. How quickly would you take that offer? Like now, please come clean exactly. it out. Like <laughs> so, so that so that's the mentality. Can your guys come this afternoon. <laughs> right. So we're taking what was once an asset is turned into a liability and back into an asset for somebody else. Okay. Huh. So that's uh, no, it's it's a very uh, interesting business model. I I wonder hearing that if that would work in Canada. I also wonder about sort of the utility of land. Because I feel like, let's say you, you do this in, in Arizona. So I do this all throughout the United States, but mainly in the Southwest, Northwest, California, and Florida. These are the sunshine states. And mm -hmm. there's an abundance of raw land in those states. And there's a lust for land in this country. So would this work in Canada? We've looked at buying Canadian land. There are some frictional costs involved in Canada, but there's billions of acres of raw land available in the United States. And anyone can own U.S. Mm -hmm. land. Now, if you're listening to this and you're in Guatemala and you think, oh, I'll buy U.S. land, that's not going to help you get immigration status or a green card. You just, you'd still be, you'd still be you know, on the hook for U.S. property taxes. When you sell the land, there's something called FERPTA. So you'd have to pay 10% of your gain to the U.S. government. And then you'd also be responsible for your own in-country taxes as well. Mm-hmm. And just so another thing off, off the top of my head, do you do this with all your own money or are banks willing to finance land? So that's why this is such a great business model is because it's inefficient. You can't go and get a land loan from a bank. So you can use your own money, but I prefer using other people's money. So what I teach is use three levers, other people's time, so inexpensive virtual assistants, software and automation, and then other people's money. And that's how you scale your land business to the next level. But when I started, I only started with $3,000. I have clients who start with $500. You don't need a lot of money to get started. But when you want to, do, to get to a really big numbers, 
you will eventually run out of money. And so you're going to want to use other people's money. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so um, let's talk about the book for a minute, because I know you mentioned off camera before that you're coming out with a, a updated version two. So is the book basically explaining your business model and how people can get started at this? Or is there something else as well? Yeah. So Dirt Rich talks about my story and how I got into land, the land business and walks everybody step-by-step step through the model. And that's really a, a really nice high you know, overview of, of the book. Dirt Rich 2 is less fundamentals and more how to scale your land business and using those three levers that I just talked about. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. And tell me, so as far as the way this business model, like you sounds like you started in 2000. Did I have that right? I did. I did. Okay. I started in 2001 full time. Okay. So you now have 21 years of data and I'm assuming you lived through 2008. You guys are also having a little bit of a slowdown now. We're in Canada in the midst of like a fairly big market correction right now, real estate wise. How has this model functioned across different economic cycles? Because like you have boom times, you have crunch times. What does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, this is another shameless plug for the book, Dirt Rich. I actually talk about what happened to me in the Great Recession. So I had what I call Parkinson's Law of Money. So the more money I made, the more money I spent. So I've got three kids. And we had a nice house, but I could afford a bigger house. And my kids were in public school. Why not private school? And because my neighbors had nicer car than me, I had to get a luxury car. And I'm not even a car guy. So I started building all this personal overhead for myself. The overhead. Thinking yeah. that yeah. this is yeah. going to be what's going to make me happy or you know, what society says looks like success because I was making a lot of money. But then... The Great Recession hits. I really got hit hard in 2010. I lost 50% of my income because people were calling me. So Mark is between paying off my land or food. I'm going to choose food. And so even though Frontier Properties was profitable, I had a problem personally. So I talk a lot about that in the book. But what happened in 2010 was it took about two years for me to rebalance the portfolio, figure out the new pricing, and then taking the new cost basis because the people that default, they lower my cost basis. I resell the property. I get a new down payment. I get new monthly payments. And so I still extend out my return on investment. Because I'd never been through a, a real estate cycle before, I really had to figure out how to, to rebalance. But I did. And then I've also learned a new process called Profit First, which allows me some fiscal discipline so that today as we head into market correction, I have cash to put into assets and will lock in those better prices so that when we come out of the downturn, just like Southwest Airlines locks in their gas prices cheaply, we become super profitable. Okay. 
So this kind of like segues into, into my next question. You know, I think a lot of what gets talked about in the real estate industry, you know, and on people's social media feeds is exactly what you were talking about is the overhead, right? It's the yachts, it's the cars, it's the things that like we project uh, in order to appear successful, whether or not they actually bring us internal fulfillment. A lot of times they don't. What is not talked about very loudly is the lifestyle hit that a lot of us, most of us take on the way to getting where we want to be. And that lifestyle hit, you know, for some people like myself involved living in a bad neighborhood for a long time with my tenants until I scaled my portfolio and, and, you know, could move out of like the Montreal version of the ghetto, you know, Um, for other people, it's late nights. Um, It might be, you know, sacrificing your own doodads or whatever kind of things it is. Can you tell me a little bit about the lifestyle hit that you've taken on your path to being where you are today? Or have you taken one? Well, I definitely took one. Uh, And for sure, the lifestyle hit was severe for me in in 2010. But if we rewind the tape even further, I was taking a lifestyle hit when I was working full-time as an investment banker. I'd get up early in the morning and I would work on my land business. I'd stay up, I'd put the kids to bed and I'd stay up late at night and work on my land business. And so I was singularly focused on getting out of that job. And even, I mean, they're not probably listening to this podcast. I would work on the job on my land business. So that was definitely, we know when my friends would be out on the weekends and they'd be going out for dinner, I would be working. When people were getting more sleep than me, I would be working. So I definitely paid the price there. And then 2010 came along and I went from a 4,500 square foot home to a 1,700 square foot home. I went from having luxury car to uh, a used Prius. I I went from having a a nanny five days a week and a housekeeper to none of that. I still miss that, by the way. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, so these, these luxuries that I could afford that really weren't making me happier, my family any happier, you know, going out to these big dinners several times a week and having babysitters, that all went away. And it was such a blessing now that I look back on it because there's this illusion that this stuff, this lifestyle will make you happier, bring you joy. And really for me, it was quite the opposite. I realized that there's nothing out there that was gonna bring me any joy or happiness. It's an internal game. And I realized that all the things I really want in life have nothing to do with money. I want a fit body, a calm mind, a house full of love. None of those things have anything to do with money. And so today, whether or not I take a lifestyle hit or not, it's irrelevant because there's just that internal sense of having enough. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's really so important. And I mean, I, you know, I think when I was on your show, it was, uh, I was launching the book called The Mindful Landlord. And like, for me, that's a really, you know, big priority is that I think there are these, you know, external markers of success that we use to signal how well we're doing to the outside world. And it's possible to get like super competitive and wrapped up with that. But that ultimately, it's the internal markers of success that are the things that make us walk around with a spring in our step, right? Which is like you said, a calm mind, feeling healthy, love, having the time to pursue the things that are like, you know, higher up on Maslow's pyramid of, of, of value, right? Like that that's what ends up being, becomes a facilitation, you know, like money and time become facilitating being able to do those things that ultimately have more internal value. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I love that title, the, the Mindful Landlord. But to your point, it's an interesting thing as you get older, when you see the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Because mm-hmm. if you're rich, you can easily signal to the world, I'm rich. Wealth is completely hidden. It's internal wealth, but real wealth is hidden too. In the fact that I'd rather invest in a asset that's cash flowing than get a depreciate asset to signal to someone I've got money and they don't even care. So, but when you're younger, there's a great book, Terry, that I think you'd love called the the second mountain. And it's very important, I think, for younger people to go through that first egoic mountain and suffer a bit to realize that, oh, wait, these things don't really move the needle in my life. So the first mountain is egoic. You, you get, you know, a good education, you get a good job, you have the family, you get the nice house, you get the car, you go on the nice vacations, you go up that mountain to what society tells you, and you realize, oh my gosh, this is empty and unfulfilling. But then you go to the second mountain, which is purpose, vocation, community, faith, and spirituality. And it's a harder mountain to climb, but it's way more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely going to drop that in the show notes. I haven't read it. I'm going to go check that out. <laughs> so did the nanny come back? The housekeeper come back? What? The full time? <laughs> no, I, I, I get it once a week. No, <laughs> okay. not full time. Just checking. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't live without a housekeeper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me um, ask you another question. So what do you think? think that we in the real estate industry should be talking about that we're not talking about? That's such an interesting question. No one's ever asked me about that. Well, I don't think very deeply about the general real estate industry because I'm on the long tail of real estate. So I don't go to real estate investment conferences with flippers and wholesalers and landlords. I'm just an inch wide and a mile deep. I would imagine that what we're talking about is something that I can imagine in real estate circles is not talked about. And I can imagine that in real estate, they're talking about, I've got this many doors and the signaling is going on in the real estate industry, or I got this much depreciation, or I, I, I just you know, got this loan for this huge project and it's all meant to impress. I, I think what's more interesting is what, to you impresses you? What makes you truly happy? Because what will your legacy be? And that would be, I would imagine something that is a more meaningful conversation in real estate circles or money circles or the the circles that people run into where people are a little bit more vulnerable. And it's definitely more interesting, I think, than, oh yeah, I just got that great new rental home that and just put a tenant in and now I can, you know, do this or that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I call it the, the doors, deals and dollars trap, right? More doors, more deals, more dollars. And you know, I, like, I, I guess um, I have kind of a, a funny relationship to that because I think on the one hand, you know, people who are really pushing the limits in be it real estate investing, you know, landlording, what you do set a bar. So I think that there are really like, you know, like professional athletes, let's say there's like really a place for 
people who can show us how can I make my own game better? Because that's what we're doing, right? Like we are, you know, looking at how to live a fulfilling life, but at the same time, we're also trying to build businesses that run uh, as well as possible, that are profitable, that can serve people, that can serve our needs. And that in itself, the internal functioning of those businesses and the fact that they serve the reason for which we created them, I mean, that's important too, right? So I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Um, but I'm, you know, also kind of saying that, 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 that there's a balance of that, right? Like there is the, you know, getting yourself aligned so that you can actually appreciate your own successes, but like in building your own success, if you're trying to learn a specific game, you're an athlete who's like practicing at something, you're going to want to look at, watch the Olympics of that sport or watch like some professional athletes do that. And that like, it's, you can, one can find inspiration in it without being consumed by, by the competitiveness, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it should be, you should be like a duck. So if you look at a duck, they're real calm on the surface, but they're fiercely paddling underneath. And so can you work on your craft? Can you become the best real estate investor in the world and yet remain and keep your calm and have your equanimity as adversity hits you? Because as you level up, it's like life's like a video game. It's not going to get any easier. And nor would it be any fun if it got any easier, but can you enjoy the game of it and realize it's just a game, not take it so seriously, not take it so personally when you get knocked down a level and not think you're so great when you, inf when you go up two levels. Yeah. So to your point, yeah, you don't ever ignore the craft. You want to get better in every area of your life. And I think that that's, you know, that growth and that meaning is so important and part of that super spiritual journey. But to be mindful is a skill where two different skill sets and you want to really converge them. One is being mindful. One is being happy and content and fulfilled. And the other one is creating wealth, which is a whole other skill set. But oftentimes we think, well, once I have that wealth, I'll be happy. It's not true. And so to your point, I think really the ultimate goal is to have both to help and serve and create an, an incredible legacy for yourself, help others, but at the same time, enjoy every moment of it while mm -hmm. you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Wow. I like, I love that. I couldn't have, couldn't have said it any better myself. You, you know, what your, your next book should be mindful dirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, my, I, I've already had the third book uh, working. It's going to be Life Rich, which will okay. be, so we got Dirt Rich, Dirt Rich 2, Life Rich. Okay. <laughs> Not and I definitely, and I, I would definitely be talking about, my, you know, mindfulness. And, and so often you see people, they, they set these amazing goals for themselves and then they hit them and then they move the goalposts. And so it's never enough. And I think that's, there's nothing more tragic than seeing somebody that has, all their needs, all their material needs met in life, and they're still not happy. They're still not fulfilled because it is an internal game. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we could, I feel like we could go keep on discussing this for a long time because there's also this, uh, I actually had a, a happiness researcher on the show like a long while back. And she was talking about a thing called, uh, I think it's a hedonic satiation, 
which is like every that 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 moving of the goalpost is actually natural, right? Like you will within a couple of weeks accl acclimate to the bigger house, acclimate to the bigger car, and it's not going to give you the same uh, bang of pleasure that it gave you the day that it bought it, that you bought it. And so like it's a question of you know taking the time to celebrate, but also realizing that like the next shiny object is just going to be the next unshiny object at the back of the garage, and that that's like the normal way in which we function. So if you're taking a lifestyle hit or some kind of uh, taking on extra debt or extra stress to get that thing, you better be sure that it's going to give you some kind of lasting happiness and not just be a thing that you're going to play with for two weeks and then you're going to acclimate to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Buddhists call it impermanence. And it's true. Everything's impermanent. So you get it and then it's that, that feeling's gone. It's just ephemeral. Yeah. So, um, Mark, thank you so much for this discussion. We're coming to the end of our time. I feel like we could go on a lot longer, but we, we can't. We could go um, on a meditation retreat, Terry. <laughs> and yeah. Or, and then, yeah, we could just sit there it. and breathe and then talk deals. <laughs> okay. Put a pin in that one. Okay. Um, why don't you tell our audience what's the best way to connect with you if they want to learn more about what you do, want to learn a bit more about your business model? I think the best way is thelandgeek.com. And if they're interested in learning more about the business model, I think the best way to learn anything is by doing it. So I have a free course that will teach you how to double your money, 30 days or less. It's thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals, thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals. And then from there, if they want to go deeper into the model, if it resonates with them, we have options for those people as well. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing that. Um, I uh, I know I'm kind of tempted to go over there and check that out. Thank you for spending this time with me today. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.